Before the big interview begins, I want to remind you that we're now producing over eight hours of advert-free podcasts every month for our socios at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. For just £2.99 per month, you get a weekly magazine show, extra socio-only big interviews, plus documentary specials. And when you sign up, you get instant access to the entire archive. So far, that's Rafa van der Vaart, Ledley King and Robbie Keane waiting for you right now. Enjoy the show. Lights, camera, action. Not quite. This is a podcast after all. But part two of the big interview with Martin Comston, brilliant actor, will take us to the set of The Damned United, the film which told the story of Brian Clough's ill-fated spell in charge of Leeds. Martin, who plays striker John O'Hare in the film, is often fiercely critical of movies about football. But he explains why he thinks that The Damned United gets it so right. He also talks about what it was like to work with the director, Ken Loach, on another great film, which had football as its backdrop. Tickets. From Loach to Michael Sheen to Miss Marple, Martin tells great stories about some famous names. And how about another? Prince? Martin's late-night encounter with the legendary songwriter took place on the eve of a soccer aid match. And after partying like it was 1999, which I'm sure was the first time in his life he tried that, Martin still managed to turn in a soccer aid performance which earned him special praise from the special world. You've introduced a theme that uh, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about, the, the Murray brothers, the Scots lacking this focus winning mentality. I'd imagine that some of that mentality you have to have to be able to concentrate in a, co- a cave in Bucharest at four in the morning or whatever it might be in, in your work. And mm. We'll talk about your work broadly, yeah. but... You've been involved in a couple of football projects on film, which happily blends the narratives a little bit, including one that will be more famous and one yeah. that I think made a huge impact on, on us tickets. But let's start with um, Damned United. Yeah. What's the experience of filming that like? And, and did you even know who here was? No, I, 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 I knew of the team, but again, because I remember having um, a conversation, I'll bring it back to that, I had a conversation with Tom Hooper, the director, who went on to win an Oscar for um, uh, The King's Speech right after Damned United, but I remember them saying to me, uh, yeah, because the big thing, they were the most successful team of that era, and I went, no, they weren't. Celtic <laughs> were the most successful team of that era. We won the European Cup, put there's you there's a theme, there's a theme. Um, but it was great to be part of, um, for one reason, you had 14 actors in a hotel for three months. So, so you could all like, help each other with your yeah, lines. We were all is, is that what we're saying? Yeah, there was, there was, uh, Some sort of like yeah, improvisation yeah, classes. Yeah, we, we were or... all there for each other. Put it that. Uh-huh, way. And I remember. Uh-huh. Well, it was that. Many... All times of day and night. Is that? <laughs> I remember one day. Um, all right. I was because we, we were hitting it that hard. We were training. I remember <laughs> getting in character. Actually, only, I, had put, I had to put a chair behind my door <laughs> because Stevie Graham. We'd all got keys cut for each other's room. So we could get so if anybody was not wanting to go on a night out, we could get and get them out. But it was it was brilliant, and um, Michael Sheen's a phenomenal actor, lovely guy. Michael can play a bit, but it was it was nice to be in that because some of the footage as well. I remember watching them do the scene with uh, Colmini and Michael Sheen, which was the the interview between Clough and Revy when after Clough had just been sacked. The Yorkshire turned, TV, yeah, or... he turned up. Yeah, and I remember thinking, we're going, that's not believable. Mm. 
And they right away went, no, this happened. Mm. And they showed me, so I'd, I'd encourage anybody to watch it. And so Clough's just been sacked by Leeds United and he's been asked for an interview and he turns up the studio and Don Revy, the former manager and his mortal enemy, is there waiting on him and they have this bizarre interview together. And again, but Revy raises some good points. Why did Clough take that job? He, I mean, he labelled them dirty leads, mm-hmm. which they're still to this day, I hear people calling them. And um, he tore them apart, but it was, I think, because people have this thing about me, and uh, I, I actually just got offered a football film, which I turned down, because I hate football films. I don't think they're done any well, and when it's something you're so passionate about. What Damn United did great about there is all the inner workings of the club, and it's a, a fantastic true story, and there's a lot of footage, and it's just clips of the game. You can't really catch a game in full flow, I think, unless no. it's playing. And it's actually, it's a, again, I won't name it, but it's, they've got a bit of money behind it. And my, my member, my agents, my managers send me and say, you'll love this. And I've been, no, you, if this isn't done right, and they called a striker a goal-getter. No, thank and you. And from that moment, I went, no, <laughs> you can't even, I don't care who you are, if you can't do your research enough, even if you're not a kid, well, to know that it's, it's a striker, then you're not going to connect with your core audience. And... Um, I love football films in terms of films that are around football, but to actually capture the game playing. There was another film, actually, which was a, it was a fantastic true story about a lad in the Falcons who um, uh, Boca Juniors signed, but it was all very political because they wanted to claim the boy for his own. And it was a great story, it was true, and then, but the ending had the boy score one against the Argentinians and then run and beat his own whole team and score into his own goal. And I remember trying to explain this to my American managers I go, why this is can't be possible and, you're, and and the only way I can explain it it's like throwing a touchdown into your own end zone it doesn't happen this can't happen so I think football is something very hard to capture on film we asked a lot of the listeners um, to talk about this subject to suggest football films that work what were you all doing not one of you mentioned Gregory's Girl <laughs> possibly the greatest ever film never mind football film yeah. keep up but we came to the conclusion that very often American sport can be captured on film and, and, and has been quite well. Yeah, but again, I think because it's, it's because football in full flow, it's I think it's very easy to see somebody who can't play football. Yeah. You know, whereas like American football was just in its own way, it has so many stoppages. So mm. to get in that huddle and yeah, kind of okay. stuff and see that throw. Okay. Um, but then, I mean, there's great sport films. I mean, even like you can tell white man can't jump. Those two can play basketball. You can see that right from the off. In my mind, the only way you could, you could capture a really good football film is to employ actors who could really play and then just let them play and get what you got. At which point the actuaries are going to say, but what if one of the stars yeah. turns an ankle, they're not going to allow that's, it to happen? That's, that's, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, that... you've got to let it happen. I mean, I'm damned United. And Stevie, well, we pal Stevie Green. Like a lot of people don't know him, so it was Al Capone and Boardwalk Empire, but Stevie's a great friend of mine. He absolutely scudded me on, on Damned United in one. You know, he was supposed to do it, but I, it was a great moment as well, actually, because Stevie was playing Billy Bremner. So we had a lot of local sort of younger lads in as sort of the extras yeah. and stuff. So we were playing training games, we were playing our positions to try and get in, and we are playing Derby versus Leeds. Uh, Stevie's running about the park, being a wee Scottish general, shouting abuse, and he's given this one kid abuse. Um, is Billy Bremner and the guy's dad ran on the pitch <laughs> <laughs> guys like leave him alone and we're all like whoa 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 he's Billy Bremner what are you doing we're uh, pretending uh, and then I remember the dad going off I saw you're a good actor and Stevie going I've got a few awards as well <laughs> he's, I've seen him he's, he's, he's intensely funny the way I've seen him off Aye. character yeah. he's soccer AM 
when he comes on, you've got that brilliant. Even sitting as a viewer of the television, you're like, anything could happen here. Yeah. <laughs> he's great. He's great fun. He's great to be around, and he's uh, he's one of those actors who's universally loved. And I mean, literally from DiCaprio, Depp, and down to sort of way where anybody that's ever worked for him, he's, he's everybody loves him. Everybody, I think Scorsese called him. He's he's British Joe Pesci. Yeah, he's he's what? well loved. Yeah, that's astounding. Yeah, they worked together on. Um, uh, Gangs of New York and then I think Scorsese headhunted them for Al Capone and Boardwalk Empire because he's a talented boy well played Stephen well played Stephen hopefully we'll talk later mm. Sheen captured that mm. role like not many people yeah. can do if you're playing somebody real he went and I think he did the same in Frost yeah it's funny he did Frost Nixon and he, he played Tony Blair mm. and Michael's one of these incredible actors where He's played three different historical characters there, mm. and somehow by the end of it, he looks like every one of them. Mm. And he doesn't, but physically, just because he, he kind of morphs into them, but there's a there's a massive difference in acting between doing an impersonation and acting, because mm. that's for people like Rory Bremner and stuff to do. It's not mm. impersonation. You, know, you have to bring the character to life w- within their mannerisms and stuff. And I think Michael's the best in the business at it. Been lucky a couple of times with some of the big bigger actors I've worked with, and I worked with Michael when I was quite young. There's a couple of scenes where he's in in the dressing room giving us all this big team talk and rallying the troops. Now, obviously, it's that looks like maybe a minute, two minutes on film, but that's like two days film because it's on Michael from multiple angles, and then you've got to film around him, the rest of the team. And I remember the, the ADs and the directors and stuff saying, Michael, save your voice, because he's in every scene of the film. Like, let somebody read in for, uh, okay. for you. And Michael going, no, if the boys are reacting to me, they'll react to me. And when you're with a young actor seeing that coming through, that, that sort of sets a standard for you. So it's a learning experience, because I'm not talking about you here, but yeah. generically when you read about the industry, yeah. books particularly, you know, it's said to be a fairly envious in- industry. And it, yeah. there's, there's brilliant stories about, you know, who gets the best shot, taking the light, or Aye. that fascinates all of us. But you were able to, to watch and, and learn and admire yeah, or... never stop learning. I mean, I did a, a Miss Marple a couple of years ago and that we uh, knew Julia McKenzie and Gosh. it's probably the most I've ever learned from anything because she's got this, I think it's 16-page denouement. This, this, she's speaking for 16 pages. Now, I made the stupid mistake on the first day of standing. That was a lily cup as well because every other bastard went in and sat down and I went, well, I'll be the one standing at the fireplace and you realise you're standing for two days solid. <laughs> Um, one old dear actually fell asleep during it. Um, but yeah, she, <laughs> she, it was great because it kind of came to her bed. It was very realistic snoring. Because uh, when it came to her, she kind of bounced up as if she hadn't been sleeping. <laughs> what? But she was two pages late. Like, <laughs> she just sort of bounced in. But it, I mean, all that well, stuff, because when you're doing that amount of pages, <laughs> I'm going through it the night before, just going, right, how would I approach this? Try to learn it and go, right, well... That's kind of just information. That's information. I'll get to that. That's the meat of it. She made every single paragraph come alive. Wow. She committed to everything. And you're thinking, wow, if she's doing that at that age, then there's no excuse for me not to be doing it. <laughs> Good point. You, you've used um, you've used the phrase about 16 pages. What we're talking about is is script, script yeah. reading, script learning. Yeah. What, what does a script look like? To tell people who've never had a script in their hand, what does it look like? What is it? What instructions are there? Is it literally just black and white and yeah, no guidance? Yeah, it's just well, they start black and white, but the uh, you call them they call them the coloured pages. So when as soon as they get there's my stages, they're called pink pages. So you get a new the script will change and that comes in, and so it's new lines and then it'll be yellow and then there's blue and you know, in line of duty they become platinum, and you've just got this multicoloured rainbow script you're walking about with. 
Yeah, I mean, it's probably not too much away from just being books. It's just uh, it's just the stage directions, and obviously because it's being filmed, it's the scene has to be set. So it's like interior, exterior, time of day, and stuff. So so people can get a because it's not just for us. I mean, the people who are who are costume designers or who are locations or or set designers, they need to know what the place looks like. So you have to set the scene every time and then before it before it cracks on. But um, yeah, it's again, it's funny these things. I mean, it's just I've been doing it now near fifteen years. It's just sort of it's my bread and butter, you know. When you talk about line of duty, you you, you talk a great deal of pride, not just about the performance or the character, mm-hmm. but about what the show stands for. And one of the emblematic things is the big long interview scenes. Yeah, you've given me to understand that the actors have got a voice in how that develops and you, from the outside you'd always imagine that the director's the boss well yeah I mean the thing is with something like especially TV but something like Line of Duty basically you get two directors a year sort of uh, per block so one does the first three episodes one does the second three but if somebody's a director's coming on in the fourth series and we've been doing it for four years we know the characters inside out more you do need a fresh voice and you need obviously somebody to kind of run the ship and control it, but we know how these things work. I mean, and um, the the interview scenes are completely unique, you know, so uh, Lenny James in the first series actually set the standard. Lenny came in and, because with these sort of things, any time I've ever done scenes of that length before, you tend to break it up because people say they want to keep the momentum going and by the time you get to page four or five, you're tired or you lose your way. But that's what we want. That's what would happen in a real interview, you know, so... If something goes a bit awry or you're a bit flat, then it gives the, the person on the other side of the table time to up their game or react. And so Lenny came in and he said, right, we're doing it all the way through. And we were all a bit shocked, but, I mean, it's that sort of fear thing. Once we did it once, we went, well, that was great. Mm. Like, that really, really helped. And this, unfortunately, we didn't know the scenes were going to get longer and longer and longer as it went on. The final episode of Series 3, that was an extra, that was an hour and a half. Usually they're only an hour long. But... If it was just a normal episode, that final episode was just two scenes. It was a 28-minute scene and a 30-minute scene around the table. Either daunting, but, I mean, you feel you've earned your money that day. I mean, and as I say, like somebody like Tandy Newton, old superstar, you know, lovely woman, BAFTA winner. Mm-hmm. Even for somebody, we've got to reassure her going, it's all right, we'll get through this. Because the thing with Line of Duty as well is it's not just the length. The dialogue is so challenging. You know, all this police talk, all this forensic speak, you know, exsanguination, genome sequencing, you know, all this kind of thing. And um, to make that sound like you're going after somebody, it's not the most threatening at times, but it really is if you're, it's in the real world because these people know what you're talking about. Not to mention try to hold all that together with an accent. It's not easy. It's, 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 it's a tough day's work, but we've done something that was never really tried before. And I think that's why people have reacted to it so well and we don't make any apologies for the audience that you have to stay with it and in this in this day and age everything's so immediate you know Mm. it's binge watching us but we we make people hold on for the week because you have to digest what's going on you can't be checking your phone you can't be tweeting or whatever in the middle of it because if you miss something it's gone so the idea is that you're you're giving depth veracity intensity so it's because you're talking about the the police procedures long scripts, but also each of you, the three principles, you're very intense people, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, well, depends the, if you the, meet in a bar the, or in the characters, the, the, <laughs> the characters are. Yeah. I'd imagine you, you use a lot of energy. Burn yeah. a lot of energy. Yeah, you? well, especially be, I mean, 
I've, I've probably say this a lot to people, but but Steve, who I play, is a wee tosser, you know, and I intentionally make him so. He's 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 a, he's a little, you know, terrier running about and he's uh, in his waistcoat getting after people, especially in. Um, the last series, it's kind of maybe not something you would notice sort of off the bat watching, but we're always on the move, whether it be in the office. We're very rarely sitting still because you want to keep this this idea of movement and something going on. So when you're doing that, like scene after scene, it gets a bit because you just go, can we just sit down for one scene and just have a chat? But then when we do sit down and just kind of slow everything down, then you know it's something, usually something heavy is about to hit. Back this away if it's rubbish. Have you learned anything from sport that you take from a... A team environment, a dressing room environment, about performance. Oh, absolutely. Into the into the sort. Yeah, of- I mean, I thought that from coming from football, I thought that quite uh, immediately, especially jumping in that the, the, the kind of way I look at. It. I mean, sort of the directors, your manager, you know, and you, even if sometimes you don't agree with them, you you work for them, you know, and um, you give them your best shot. And uh, yeah, and you, quite, you quickly realise with these things, it is one big team because I think where people lose their mind in this job is, for instance. It was pouring a rain the other day uh, when we were filming and uh, somebody's following you about with an umbrella. That umbrella's not to keep you warm, it's to keep your costume dry. Yeah. But people can lose a sense of importance, you know, and they think, oh, I've got all this happening. And when people are running to make you tea, it's not because you're more important, it's because you're not allowed to leave set. Mm-hmm. So you're, they always know where you are and so you're ready to go. You know, but people can get, I think, they can get filled and it's easily done I've what are you saying that, that if, if everything's done for you all the time yeah. you get into a mode of thinking that everything should be should done be for you done all for the time you. yeah because it can but even for me I mean, I'm, I'm very grounded so I said I, I know all these things aren't done for me Martin Compson it's done to keep the actor on set and make sure he's ready to go and he's not drenched from one take to another but it can be quite disconcerting when you go for four months of having your, your driver outside waiting on you and your shop picked up for you and all of a sudden the job's done and, and just, there's nobody there. Yeah, yeah, deal. It can be. I mean, I said I'm quite grown, but I can see it can mess with people. It really can. I think it's one of the probably the worst faults of interviews, but I'm about yeah. to do it anyway because I'm curious about this. Sky used to when when I did interviews. I'd send you a car. Yeah, yeah, it would be a BMW. Yeah, I haven't lived your life. I haven't done yeah. anything like yours. But I remember thinking exactly the same when you've got to find your way yeah. across London and there's not somebody doing it yeah. for you, or you've got to work out the tube or yeah. elbow and elbow with a tourist and it. It is a good jolt. It does yeah. teach you to get off your high horse yeah. and can do what you're supposed well, to do. One of the biggest ones they had for me, and it was my, they kind of blinded me, the bastards. I was, I was doing reshoots for a bigger film, and um, I was filming Line of Duty in Belfast in the morning, so I was like, you're up at six or whatever, and you're there for seven. I was filming till five, and they wanted me to do a night shoot in Czech Republic, so just go right through. Obviously, but I had, literally I had to be on set, so I wrapped in five at Belfast, and I had to be on set at uh, eight in Czech Republic. Um, to then start filming and uh, so they've sent a private jet for me hello and uh, so I mean the excitement of that on its own was sort of like you know I mean little boy through you know kind of swaggering through the airport and um, the lovely Sergio Garcia was just just in front of me getting on so you're thinking I've arrived and then so get the private jet over your wee wait or whatever and then go film all night and so I haven't slept for 24 hours and I didn't even think so I just assumed the jet would be there waiting for me <laughs> flight back was via Hamburg Crag to Hamburg to somewhere else to London then to Glasgow four flights that's not right now on, yeah, the, on what you've been saying about like keep the costume dry yeah they should have been thinking no, they keep the fellow on his no, pins no, not no, four they, flights no they, no they thought of that this they fellow's thought, a resource no, for us no they thought that no they thought because I was done they thought of that get him there on the private jet mm. so he comes happy 
Mm. But once I had started, you don't need them anymore. Yeah, because we flew. I remember we drove by the private jet entrance and I went to the guy. I went, where, where, where are we going, man? It's funny, this helps because Fletch has already said he played against you in the cup final. Yeah. Sergio Garcia, never off the phone. Is, <laughs> Do you know Martin Compson? I, I, I'm uh, sure I saw him in that game. I didn't have the balls to say hello to him. So I, I love the, I love the way. I mean, I'm so happy the way he, he won that eventually because the Spaniards, him and Ballesteros, you know, I mean, my, my dad was a was was a too. huge Sevi fan. Sevi represents everything that yeah. that that we should be as Scots. Yeah, well, what you Dallas think, really, and mad, but winning we, too. We were when we were. I was a boy, and my my pals, one of my best pals, dad took us into press for when the opens and just to see the players coming in. And Jack Nicholas, I mean, they must be busy, but we kind of say, and he kind of just kind of swanned us off, and we kind of went to Sevi, and people were grabbing him. And he kind of went as well. And we, me and my pal were just walking away. And then we just said, aye, aye, aye. Turned out of the car and it's Seve like shouting <laughs> us back to the car. And I've, got, I've still got it on that. Because we, we just got fish and chips and we got beside the fish and chip wrapper. <laughs> and I, I spilled fucking vinegar on it on the way back down the road. And I tried to switch my mates and he caught me. Okay. Um, but I've still got it in the house. Kevin Bridges, your uh, bus ticket uh, story has just been trumped. <laughs> Up your game. <laughs> Nicholas, that Nick, uh, Seve Ballesteros on fish and chip paper. Scotland. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. We're not going to let you go, even though you're going to meet very important people, much more important than Paul or Gordon um, after this. Tickets? Yes. I'd like to hear about tickets. Tickets was the second film with Ken Loach, and it was a kind of a mad, because, I mean, Ken, I think, is only coming to sort of... He's, a lot of people love him here, and he's coming to promise one of the but in Europe, he's adored, mm. you know. He, and um, So they had this big Because film. of the prominence of Art House, the Art independent House cinema. cinema. You, yeah, independent cinema, that's yeah. a better way of putting it. And yeah, like in France, when you go to Cannes with him, I mean, it's, oh. it's mayhem. But so they had this idea of doing a film about refugees on a train was a core, but then three different stories and the three different directors did half hour each and the last half hour was Ken's and it was about three Celtic fans on their way from Glasgow to a Champions League game in Rome. Oh man, it was ideal. I mean, you were just, you were getting paid to run about in a Celtic strip and <laughs> sing Celtic songs and one of, one of the boys, Gary Maitland, who's in it, is, he's a big, big Rangers man. He has uh, lived it down to this day. The best job he's ever had. Does Ken Loach, just as an aside, does, does the statements he make, the films he make, what do you, does he represent something, themes that you believe Absolutely. in? Absolutely. I mean, uh, I, anybody kind of knows me, knows I'm a socialist and kind of things I believe in. But I think what Ken does, 
One, he makes the films that nobody's got the balls to make. I mean, I, Daniel Blake, is one of the most important films of the last decade, in my mm. mind, And but it's a commercial success. Mm. That's what Ken does. He, he brings these things out. And the way he films, again, is completely unique, which was quite tough start because Ken never says action. He never uses Mark. Well, Mark, for anybody, is, is basically, you think, all these camera angles are, are in perfect focus all the time, but basically you've got something on the floor that you need to hit every time for you to be in focus. So it's kind of, that's something from not going to drama school, which was great for me on Mark of the Glen, but you need to learn very quick. You need to hit your mark. That's your big thing. You just sort of, you kind of need to learn to see with your feet. Yeah. You know, you just need to gauge distances. Because literally for people, it, it'll be taped maybe. Yeah, it's tape or something, or, but sometimes not even, because if you can see the floor, you're not allowed. So yep. okay. you kind of know where it is and you've got to kind of just basically hit it. But Ken doesn't use them. Because um, he doesn't want people to be aware of who's on, because with the focus of the scene will change with the focus of the camera. Mm-hmm. So you could think it's on you, um, but it might not. It might be on somebody else. So is the technique is that technique supposed to be presenting a slice of life as if the camera Absolutely. wasn't there? And it was very difficult. Now. Exactly, it's sort of in some ways sort of like documentary. But what's great about that is, as you said, you don't know who's the focus of the scene at times. So you're giving your everything because you, people become very aware of when they're on camera and people want to know their angles, darling. Am I here? Am I here? Am I mid-shot? Yeah. Am I close shot? And then they kind of, they, there's this kind of thing that, that maybe it's a bit older school now of people always saving themselves for the close-up because they think that's their big one. But sometimes the scene doesn't get into the close-up because it sits so well on a wide shot. But people are half-arsing it because they're waiting on it to come in. I mean, I've, I've, I've been guilty of in the past. I think, I think most actors have been at some time. But with Ken... As he doesn't shoot that way, you, you're never aware of what's what. So every single take you're giving it never says action, never says cut. So you're never aware really of with anything else. It's does this you get the clapper board, which I'm sure everybody knows is the thing at the front of the scene. But there can be a sense of right now act mm-hmm. that that's been done. Yeah, Whereas yeah. with Ken, it's there's nothing like. So that. does the scene just peter out? No, you kind of know what it's his natural end, but he'll he'll just pop in and go, oh, thank you, that kind of thing. You'll never see cut, you know, and there'll be nobody coming in, or they'll do that when you're not looking. We're nearly out. There are two more subjects. One is brief. Sadly, before he died, the prince phoned me and said, is it true that Martin Compson knows Greg, <laughs> Gary Tank, Commander, Nick Hugh? Um, yeah. is Gary, Gary's a bright, leading man, writer, Greg, performer. Yeah, yeah, Get yeah, yeah, Gary yeah, yeah, to yeah, everybody yeah, else, yeah, Greg yeah. to us. Is he the kind of guy who might lead you astray? I think we lead each other astray uh-huh. quite a lot. We, um, he's a great friend of mine. I say a very, very talented boy, you know, very. with fresh meat and he's doing the A word now and stuff. But yeah, we sort of coax each other on, you know. We've ended up in some, some heaps together. Is there an example? Well, <laughs> well, one of the great, again, one of the great <laughs> things about this, this job is I got to play in uh, the soccer thing at Old Trafford, which was just an unbelievable experience I, I believe Kevin Bridges um, touched on it on his you know and me and Kevin had a great time you know sitting with Mourinho and stuff and um, well basically I, I played I played a charity game and, I, and I'd done my ligaments and I had a, a, a keyhole on it and I kind of thought that was it and it took me out of work for three months so my agents and said, said right enough's enough sort of like it's time to concentrate on the on, on your actual job and then the call came through for Soccer Aid and I hadn't even run or anything on it yet and I was just thinking Maybe this isn't the right thing, but I says, I'll go down and I'll have a run. And if I can wait on it, I can't miss this opportunity. Because they told me Mourinho was, was managing. You were going to be playing with Seedorf, Stam, Davids, Del Piero, Shevchenko. You know, it was an incredible lineup, Van der Sar. And I thought, I just need to kind of, uh, just to be on a pitch with these people. And Mourinho was unbelievable. So we turned up on the night and I had a run about with the physio that day. And he said, "Look, it's weak, but it's we can do stuff for you, and it'll be uh, it'll be all right. We'll strap you up and all that kind of thing." 
so Mourinho comes down for the initial kind of dinner thing and he had a dossier on every one of us <laughs> and he says look I know about your knee he says you're going to start at the weekend because the point was we were to train Tuesday to Friday and play the game on Sunday and you were sort of to play yourself into his plans and he said you're going to start don't don't train like we need you and a bit, a bit of me was like you know be, having been a footballer I wanted to be on a training pitch with yeah. Mourinho and yeah, yeah. see the secrets and all that kind of thing and so he kind of let me kind of pot about. He'd always kind of have me on and go like, "This is where you're going to be: front post, back post." Every he's so organised; it was unbelievable. Like everybody knew where they had to be, and it was just mind blowing to see this. And the first thing he said is, "Look, this is for charity. We're going to enjoy ourselves, but we're here to win. My teams don't lose." Like so we got the Tuesday, Wednesday, the Thursday. He'd let me have a little kick about. He says, "Right, tomorrow." He says, "I'm going to let you train on the Friday." So I was buzzing. So I was trying to get an early night. And then the phone goes and it's Greg. He says, look, you're going to come out. Uh, you want to come in town and meet me? I'm out with uh, Paolo Nadini, who's another, who's another good friend. And he says, no, look, mate, I've been on the, on the table all day, getting my massage and stuff. He says, the guy says, my, my knee's fine. I'm going to train tomorrow. And he said, look, just come into town. And we're like, no, no. He says, look, just come into town. Hug up, phone goes again. He says, look, just come meet us for a beer. You're all right. I said, look, mate, we're on lockdown. I'm playing this game on Sunday. And he said... Um, <laughs> He says, look, just move. I went, no. Phone goes again, it's Paolo. And he says, if you don't come out tonight, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. And I went, look, you, you take the piss here. Because I said, look, I really shouldn't be doing this. So do you mean that? And he says, ah, just come down, you'll see what I mean. So I, I got out the back of the hotel and jumped a taxi. You all the England boys were already out, but I think they were about hanging, but Mourinho was kind of strict on us. Rightly so, I think. And so I got a car into the Groucho where we're sitting now, meet Greg and Paolo for a drink. And he says, look, just follow me. We walk round the corner, just round the corner there. I think it's the back of the Hippodrome. I walk into this tiny wee booth and outstruck sprints. <laughs> <laughs> and proceeded to play for the next five hours or so solid. No. That was unbelievable. Obviously, you know who Prince is and you know some of the songs and stuff, but I've never seen anything like it. And there must have been about 100 people in the place. Whoa. And then so I got on about 7 or 8 in the morning. Hosey gave me the shout on the pitch. And I went, no, I think you're right, Hosey. I'm back on the table. <laughs> we twins. <laughs> felt my knee a bit heavy and I don't want to risk it for Sunday. So I just sat and lay in the bed for the rest of the day again. Did you tell him? I told him after that. I told him on the Sunday night. But I didn't want to jeopardise because... I think I was supposed to start left mid. Michael Sheen broke his wrist and Michael was supposed to start right back and he said, look, I'm going to need to move you to right back. So, But I've got a great picture because of that because he said, look, I'm going to move you to right back so Michael's going to start and then we'll put you on. He's going to change the, the banners, whatever, and then you'll go on. And I've got a great picture framed of me at Old Trafford with, with Jose telling me at the side <laughs> of the pitch point and where to go. And then he said to me, uh, Ollie Murs was one, he said, just make sure, he says, that boy's a whip it. He said, just make sure he doesn't get on the ball or do anything. And as he ran by, Hosey just ran on the pitch and, and nailed him. <laughs> <laughs> just nailed him. And I seen Wee Murs rolling around looking up at me and I'm laughing. <laughs> and then that set the tone for me, so I just nailed him the rest of the night. <laughs> but it was, I mean, that kind of stuff was was unbelievable. And and to get a, a thing of being on a pitch with those players. And what I'll never forget is maybe he's on... To say he's underrated isn't the right word because he's won the European Cup with three different teams. Mm. But Seedorf controlled the tempo of mm. that entire game. I mean, you've got world-class players around him. All legends. But he controlled that game. When he wanted to up it, the whole game up to him. When he wanted to slow it down, I think he scored three that night, actually. It was unbelievable. He, he remains a really good athlete as well. I yeah, mean, he's he, a the machine. Nick he's in his... Yeah, well, I mean, with the, the, him and Davies were... We're whipping the bodies out in the showers. Me and Kevin were, made ourselves quite scarce. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are still man mountains. Um, 
but I mean, I think it was seventy thousand there that night, you know, and it, it was. And with with a lot of these charity games, that you, you feel like the one I'm playing on Sunday, it's it's is charity, but that there was a lot of needle in that. There still is because the week of the build up, because then it's sort of England v sort of Scotland, Wales, and Ireland. It was important, and you, you want to do yeah. yourself justice as well. Even, yeah. Even though you're out partying until late well, in the morning, you do. You... But because I remember as well, because Mourinho did say to me, he said make sure he doesn't get a ball on him and I think all the got substituted and he ran down at the side of the pitch and shouted on me and I turned around and he just clapped and I was just like fucking hell it was amazing I remember as well he told me do not cross the halfway line he says let let Clarence and Edgar do all the balls so he says I want you to defend don't we need you he says, we've only got so many because it's a celeb football thing so I think you're only allowed four footballers on Yeah. and he says we need you to defend and um, at one of the corners big yap stam who doesn't head the ball he headbutts a ball. <laughs> it's unbelievable seeing how far this man puts a ball with his nut. Yeah. And the whole, when you hear yap, place just parts. Nobody gets near him. But he shouted at one of the corners, Martin, get forward. And I just pointed at Jose who ran down and he wasn't even look, just looking, just a wee wag of the finger. Yap went, all right. I was just, I mean, you stuff know like what that. you achieve professionally now. That, that's going to stay up there. Oh, that, top, top, top. top. That, Every young that, fella's dream. I played Larson through the past. That's the stuff that stays with you because that's, it's the stuff I grew up watching, you know. I mean, I always loved acting, I always loved movies and stuff. But, you know, I didn't dream about winning Oscars. I dreamed about lifting the cup with Celtic. Now, we do have one question before we stop because people bother to write in. So, Ian Hamilton, if Martin could play one famous sportsman, who would it be and why? Eh. Sprung- Benny Lynch It's a shout Benny Lynch Because He's another one I think because It pretty much goes back To what we were saying uh, He achieved it He was Scotland's First world mm-hmm. champion He went all the way And I think And Robert Carlyle Has been a vocal Backer of it So am I, am I To try and get a statue For him uh, At Central Station Because there's This incredible picture Of him At Central Station I think there's like 10,000 people there after he won the world title and him being lifted and carried through That's by the crowds. Um, but it was, I mean, it's a really tragic life story. He was undefeated. When he lost the title, he lost it because he was overweight. He never made the weight. He knocked the guy out still. Hmm. And then he sort of descended into, you know, um, uh, alcoholism and died destitute. But everybody said he, he gave every pretty much every last penny he had away. You know, he was a very kind man. But no, he went all the way. So that that would probably be something. That's I think that's a story that has that story to, been you know, filmed. I had one of these things. Maybe that's where it came to my problems. And it's one of, I got one of these jobs script offers came through, which was too good to be true, and it turned out it was. It was me playing Benny Lynch with, and my coaches and managers was Gabriel Byrne, Brendan Gleeson, and Gee, Robert Duval. Nice. I think so. It was just like if, yes, this, if this happens, yeah. um, and it sadly didn't. And the finish is this that's a great choice, yeah. by the way. And, and, and the big interview, if there's a campaign about Benny statue and the statue, Benny. we'll join. Statue for Benny. We'll join, we'll publicize yeah. it. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, the, the last one is how do you live in LA? I don't, that's the problem. I've, um, I'm, on, I'm on the uh, verge of getting a divorce, I think, because my beautiful wife, um, I think since we've moved there for two years, I've maybe spent four, three months there. Um, I've been on the road for... And I, I, I'm in no, under no illusion how lucky I am at the minute and just going job to job, but your personal life goes when you're working. Mm. I mean, I've been married now, just coming up for a year, and we still haven't had a honeymoon, you know. And um, um, But again, the thing is with this job, a lot of it's to do with momentum, you know. And I'm, I'm on a great roll at the minute, you know. I literally, I went from filming Plain Sight about Peter Manuel. Within three days, I was in Belfast for four months. I had Christmas, and the 2nd of January, I was in Prague to do the film with Keira Knightley. 
got home for a couple of weeks in Melbourne, York, doing Queen Victoria, and then I, I finished that in two weeks, and I start in three weeks my next big film, which is going to be three, four months. So technically, that's that's where the wife and the dog is, mm. and um, it's where my hammock is, and it's where my Billy McNeil gnome is. <laughs> <laughs> Out in the garden? Yep. In LA somewhere, yeah. up in Cahuenga Pass, or yeah. I don't know, there's a Billy McNeil gnome yes, in a garden. There is indeed. Yeah, it's my little... Uh, Lord Legends, yeah, I'm a little... <laughs> I'm an actor trying to make it the cutthroat world of garden gnomes. <sighs> it's brutal, eh? Yeah. Then I'll wait to get you to describe the LA set. The, I just think living in a, an iconic place where every corner you've seen on television well, or yeah, cinema... yeah, from that point of view... It's not the glamour I'm yeah, after. Yeah, no, if you, go, if you go, because, I mean, we live uh, North Hollywood, just in the valley, so, I mean, you're ten minutes from Universal and stuff, but I'd encourage people to go, if you're all out there, go to places like, um, watch the Magic Castle's quite tough to get into it's, a, it's like a private members club for magicians where Johnny Carson and stuff and Cary Grant were all members that's what? the kind of place I love and there's a beautiful old Italian restaurant again which is uh, called Dantana's but proper old Hollywood that's that's the kind of place I love that's what yeah. I what, because I read the, the old cinema books I read you know Disconnect from the World yeah. I read Crime fiction, it's usually a cop or a detective in LA. Yeah. So you hear all the names, yeah, you know. Mickey you, Cohen and all that, yeah. The parks, the, 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 talk, the talk about the traffic. Yeah. Well, there's you one know. again, it's like, because we drive over the hill quite a lot, and uh, there's, there's one building my friend tells me, I'd love it if it's true, there's these two houses where on one side of the street was Houdini and one side of the street was Chaplin, and they've got a tunnel connecting <laughs> underneath. Now, again, whether all this stuff is, if, whether it's kind of... It doesn't matter. Yeah, I know, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, it's, and you see some of these houses, and you see, I think it's Jerry Lewis, who used to, our, our house, it's, um, I live next door to a, uh, one of my close friends, Ross McCall, a, a, a brilliant actor, people probably know from like Band of Brothers and Green Street and stuff, but a big football man, and so our house is sort of, our little kind of, bits divvied up into three houses but when it was one I think Jerry Lewis owned it I, I like it now um, living in West Hollywood and stuff it, it can be really soulless because it's so cutthroat do you, miss, cut- do you miss pavements? no, I, you miss, no I, miss, I miss greenery I miss greenery that's what my because it's all fake green lush green but I found what I, <laughs> what I did find was this is no joke there's a game on Friday night there's uh, some lovely lads who um, they're actually one's a big uh, Antonio and Ruben uh so the wee Mexican lads who, who work in the cafe were saying as two brilliant wee footballers. Um, we've all kind of became pals through football and we play a game on a Friday night. And um, it's funny because the wee Latino lads can play really well and uh, Brit lads, but the American lads, one of them was playing with a set of earphones in, <laughs> which I could not get my head around. That's LA. Yeah, that, and, that's, and then that's... another one. <laughs> Literally, I haven't seen this since I was nine. Picked his ball up and walked no, off the no, park. No, it's my ball. It's my ball. No Do you know why he did it? As Stop well? kicking me. You know why he did? No, because I thought he got kicked, and I turned around. My mate, I said, "What's going on?" Somebody hit a shot, and it hit him in the stomach, and because the guy didn't apologise, he said, "No, yeah. he never even got tackled. He just got hit with the ball, and he he picked up his ball and walked off the park and left. And he was a grown man." That's the reason I have to leave LA. Just, oh, just it's, right it's there. Unbelievable. It's um, but yeah, but the, the, all the wee Latin, the Latin lads can 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 certainly play. But it's uh, yeah. I mean, you you see guys kicking a ball up and they shout good yardage, and you're thinking, what is going on here? You know, we're go playing get a long her. ball. Go get. Go get. Her. Yeah, it's it, there's a lot of sun. Put it that way. I'm not against that myself. You're very generous. You've got a busy life. The momentum is talent. Thank you for sharing this. 
You're a great storyteller. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. The big interview with Martin Compson. Thank you. Thanks very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed this free podcast. I'm betting you did. If you want to hear more, not just these interviews, but weekly magazine shows and documentary specials, we'd all love you to become socios of The Big Interview. I promise you, I won't let you down. It's worth it. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and join for just £2.99 per month. You'll get instant access to our entire archive of podcasts, plus eight hours of new and advert-free content every single month. You'll also be helping us to produce more of these shows. Thank you for listening.